Welcome to the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast, a podcast about the history and construction of the city's motorways and expressways. It's July 2019 and this is episode 13. I'm Stuart Baird. And I'm John Hassel. We have another fascinating podcast for you this month. You could say it's something of a summer special. We are kicking off with the first in a new series of regular discussions about the many unbuilt roads and motorways in Glasgow. This month we are starting with the one we are asked most about, the Mary Hill and Lomond motorways. Our From the Archive feature continues the subject to look at the Mary Hill Motorway Justification Report from 1975. And a fascinating report that is, John, and I'm sure everyone will be really happy to hear some of the main things and features about it. Yeah. After that, we will be answering your questions. We have some regulars contributing as always. Hi, I, Robert. I see uh, that. And we'll be talking about some upcoming Glasgow Motorway Archive activities as well. Yep. But, John, how has summer been for you so far? Summer's been okay. Some uh, not-so-reliable weather, but it's been all right. I'm loving these new chairs we're sitting on. Good. They're good, aren't they? They're so, lovely and comfy. Yeah. Will we get right into this, then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go. Okay, John. Here we are again. Yeah, here we are again. July 2019, episode 13, and this month we are launching a new series of features, Mm -hmm. which will run probably between now and the end of the year, on the many unbuilt roads and motorways of Glasgow. We could run that on for years. We could. We could. (laughs) The city is as well known for its unbuilt roads as it is for its built roads. Okay. And I think think that we are launching this month with probably the one that we are asked the most about would you agree i do if, if we discount the unbuilt sides of the ring road indeed yes you know uh, um, yes. east and south links so we're going to be talking about the mary hill and lomond motorways yeah um tell us about the mary hill and lomond motorways john so the Mary Hill motorway is, I think it's best described from what you can see now, okay? So this is the motorway that was meant to go between Junction 16 and Junction 17 of the, the current M8. Yeah. There would have been another junction in there with a motorway that would have gone north. And this would have followed the line of the canal going up um, towards kind of like uh, Mulgai, Bearsden. Well, it turned the corner and turned into the Lomond motorway, which would then have come across and joined up at Clyde Bank. So this was... A motorway basically to serve the north north part of the city, mm-hmm. hence the naming Mary yeah. Hill Motorway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why uh, this route didn't get built because it did actually get quite far. You know. Yes, it did. It got quite quite far along the the design and preparation process, mm-hmm. um, before it was ultimately cancelled. And yeah, as you say, there's probably a number of reasons for that, which we will come on to as we as we go through and discuss it. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The the need for a Mary Hill motorway um, came about as a result of studies into the inner ring road mm-hmm. um, as we're probably all familiar um, or, or aware of by now the inner ring road was designed as the inner wheel in a network of roads that would uh, surround the conurbation so uh, so it's like spokes on a wheel spokes go, on a wheel going out yeah. so uh, mary hill was just one of those it was spokes. one of those spokes exactly mm-hmm. uh, and as you said earlier that was to cater for traffic in the north and west of the city mm-hmm. basically to try and alleviate congestion on great western road and mary hill road mm-hmm. which yep anyone who uses them today knows that they are very busy routes but they were also busy 
in the 1960s as well. Uh, and it was felt that it was important to provide a link for traffic using the ring road, you know, to get get in those directions, mm -hmm. to, to get in that direction. Um, and, and to link it to Great Western Road in particular at the far western end, quite close to where Erskine Bridge is now. That's right. Uh, currently, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier is about the Lomond motorway that would have kind of gone uh, across towards the west, would have tied in currently just the border between Drumchapel and Clyde Bank. Yeah, and it's important to note that they would also have interchanged with another motorway just around the Somerston area where mm -hmm. the North Link motorway would have joined with the Mary Hill to become the Lomond. Uh, mm -hmm. We will discuss the North Link motorway later uh, yes. in another episode, but I think it's important just to clarify that point at this we stage as well. We also have one we, we don't talk about, and mm -hmm. I know it's not on the topic today, but the Trossachs motorway. That's right. That's so the one that would have continued north. Yes, um, so yeah, absolutely right. So yeah, so two motorways actually that interchanged with. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Good for things. pointing that out. There. Yeah. So when did they first come up with this? Was it highway plan? Highway plan for Glasgow, nineteen sixty-five. Although okay. it was finalised in nineteen sixty-three, it was only published in nineteen sixty-five. Mm -hmm. um, the, the route was first outlined in that. It was envisaged that it would be a dual three-lane motorway okay. with hard shoulders, um, linking with the inner ring road. Um, as you said, between the present day junction 16 and 17, roundabout mm -hmm. Port Dundas, Cowcaddens. Yeah. Um, there are clear signs on the ground that this mm -hmm. motorway was going to leave there. Mm -hmm. um, the stub, as you travel westbound, that goes nowhere. Um, yep. Many people ask us where that was going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and this simple answer was that was going to be your westbound to northbound slip road between the M8 and the Maryhill motorway. That's right. Um, so is that, that would have been another one where you leave on the right. Yes, it would have been, but, <laughs> but am I right in saying because you would have been leaving one motorway to join another motorway of equal it's status, allowed. it's allowed under yes, the regulations. Mm -hmm. So yes, that, that would have been interesting. Now, let's talk about the, the various junctions and things. Let's let's travel northwards from the Inner Ring Road all the way back to Great Western Road. Okay, So mm -hmm. we're going to start then from the Inner Ring Road. And we would have left on a junction that you quite like, a style of junction that we don't have in Scotland. Um, but you, we you... don't have any of them in the UK. Um, they, they're a particular feature that you see on urban highways, uh, urban motorways in America. Right. Uh, it's known as a fully directional T. And this is where you get things, as you say, splitting on the right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's consider a junction that's a semi-directional T that's like it. So when you go off the Erskine Bridge, right. so okay. you're going west on the M8, coming up for Erskine Bridge, you leave on the left and you dive under the two carriageways of the M8 to continue north on the M898 towards the Erskine Bridge. Right, okay. Right, so that's how we do it in the UK. And that's semi -directional, a semi-directional T. Semi-directional T. Okay, so now, what then would be the benefit of a fully directional T over a semi-directional T? You save a lot of space because you're not leaving on the left and diving under. It can mm -hmm. save you on bridges. All you've got is just one structure Mm -hmm. where you're crossing what would be, in this case, the eastbound carriageway. So in a location like this, where they were trying not to demolish a lot of property, trying to, to reduce mm -hmm. the imprint of the motorway as much as possible, that maybe explains then yes. why John Cullen and the team would have come up with a fully directional T solution yeah. here. That's yeah. right. Um, they also potentially have higher traffic capacity as well, because, right. again, you're not, you're not you're not making these bends and turns. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. where you've got this kind of geometry going on with roads, you do limit the capacity. You give more places where people are braking and slowing down and stuff. And you see this on semi-directional T's. Okay. The other place where they would have put that junction, I think there was one between the Hamilton motorway and the east uh, east flank as well. That's right. And that's another one we'll probably discuss um, in the coming months as well. That's mm -hmm. a good one to to bring up so th this would have been a very special type of junction mm -hmm. uh, you know and shoehorned in there but it would have done the job pretty okay. well yeah so to explain to people to people listening 
If we had been going from the westbound M8 to the northbound Mayhill Motorway, we mm -hmm. would have gone under the eastbound carriageway. Yes. The southbound Maryhill Motorway to westbound M8 would have mm -hmm. come over the eastbound yes. M8. Mm -hmm. um, thinking of the other directions, the eastbound M8 to northbound Maryhill Motorway wouldn't have crossed any carriageway. Mm. And the southbound Maryhill to eastbound M8 wouldn't have crossed any carriageway. So you're right, there's basically two two or three bridges but that you require to do all to allow for all these manoeuvres. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you can see what the appeal is there clearly. It's mm -hmm. probably quite cheap, actually. Yeah, it is. It saves you on bridges, saves you on space, and it works. Yeah. And again, that corner um, of the ring road was intended to be a bit busier. That's why it's four lanes mm -hmm. wide there. Um, two lanes would have dropped off and then two lanes would have continued towards Charing Cross uh, you know, so you would still have that dropped into two lanes but given yeah. Charing Cross was intended to be the quietest corner you could see how that would have worked mm -hmm. you know, a considerable amount of traffic was expected to leave etc etc part of the whole working yeah. system okay so from the inner ring road we would have proceeded northwards okay and we would have proceeded along the line of the Glasgow branch of the 4th and Clyde Canal mm -hmm. we would have passed Spears Wharf which would be sitting up the hill ever so slightly. And then we would then turn left and towards the north and we would have a junction. Mm. And that junction, I believe... With the well, the first one we've got here, I mean, we're looking at the, the report, is Postle Road. Postle Road. So this is a diamond. Yes. It's a half diamond. It's got north-facing slips only, uh -huh. according, yep. according to this plan. Mm -hmm. we, we, I think we have to point something out first. Yeah. The plan for the Mary Hill Motorway and the Highway Plan, mm -hmm. the 1960, 1963, 1965 version, is different from the one that eventually came in this report yes, that we're is. going to discuss That's later. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think for the purpose of this, we'll just talk about the ones that will be in the report. Cause it was yeah, no, version. that makes sense. That was the approved, approved that was, line. That was yeah. the approved line because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's actually slightly different if you look into it. Yeah, so they've yeah. got this a minor junction that would have just served the local road there. And that parcel road... Um, it would then veer slightly to the northwest again, and it would run parallel to um, Fair Hill and Fair Hill Stadium, where yeah. Partick Thistle play. Mm -hmm. It would have run to the southwest of Fair Hill. Mm -hmm. If you look at the gap between Maryhill Road and Fair Hill Stadium, you will see that the tenements end and then start again in some newer, modern housing in the <laughs> middle. That's because that land was cleared in anticipation of the road coming through. Yeah. And when it was ultimately cancelled, they then obviously rebuilt on it with more modern housing. I think there's some housing association um, houses in there. Yeah. It would have passed behind the Queen's Cross Church uh, in cutting. And, um, for, you know, if you were in Fair Hill or if you were at Queen's Cross Church, the motorway would have been below the level of the existing ground. Yeah. So the motorway wouldn't have been elevated or anything like that. You wouldn't have been able to see it too easily I from there. I think most of this route was depressed, wasn't it? Yes, it was, it was yeah. yeah. for the most part. And it, it does, it follows the line of the canal. Yeah, yeah. I remember, Stuart, just a, just a little anecdote here in this. We walked it, didn't we? We did, yeah. I mean, it's possible, <laughs> obviously, to walk ago. that route because the canal towpath and whatnot is still there. That. Yeah. Um, that, that was an, an interesting uh, an interesting experience, mm -hmm. uh, walking up through there. And there's a number of activities that go on in the canal there now. Canal's obviously back in use now. Yeah. You know, when this this report was proposed, or this route was proposed, the canal had been closed to navigation for about 10, 15 exactly. years. There had been calls to, to fill them in from a number of people, mm -hmm. um, you know, for that reason, before they came back into fashion. Mm -hmm. um, after that, we basically skirt alongside Maryhill Road. And there's, there's a length of Maryhill Road that was slightly realigned to actually accommodate the motorway. That work was done. If you think of the uh, the fire station, mm -hmm. um, immediately opposite where the footbridge comes off or from, over from the, the University Halls of Residence that sit over the side, the north side of the canal, and that section of Maryhill Road was realigned. And the connection, 
um, with Queen Queen Margaret Drive. That was built in the the mid seventies, uh, mid seventies, um, I believe, to connect not just with Maryhill Road to provide a through route from Byers Road to Maryhill Road, but also to connect with the second junction of the motorway, which mm-hmm. was at Bills on Drive. Yeah. And Bills on Drive was going to be a full access junction. That's you would right. have been able to go north and south on the motorway. Mm-hmm. And that is actually quite an extensive junction. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a number of typically Glasgow-type loops uh, for the slip roads. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the type of junction they call a parklow, partial cloverleaf, right. on that one there. But it does provide... It's, it's similar to a diamond interchange that you've got, but the slip roads have been kind of folded round. Yeah, mm-hmm. Again, it's all to do with saving space. These things are useful in certain places where you can't have something that you've just taken out of the manual and plonked there, a kind of cookie-cutter junction. Yeah. Again, quite bespoke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so now that makes sense as well, because that's mm-hmm. quite a tight space, and I guess they were trying to minimise demolition there as well, if possible, for of any better quality buildings and, and things. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, the motorway then starts to move move in a more northeasterly direction, mm-hmm. moving away from the main part of Mary Hill. So it was actually intended to run behind Mary Hill up towards Stockingfield. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually Gilshock Hill, mm-hmm. um, before there was another junction at Cadar. Yeah. And uh, actually a section of the road at Cadar that was supposed to take the junction has been constructed. And I believe it was called the Cadar Relief Road. Right. I think that's referred to in the report as a Cadar Relief Road, and there's a small two or three hundred meter long section that's of there. that has been constructed. Do you know, Stuart? I think a couple of months ago you showed me this. Yes. Yeah, because I've not been to it. That's uh, right. But you have shown me this. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And again, there would have been a junction here that would have allowed for access to the southbound mm-hmm. of the motorway or access from the south. Yeah. Um, now, from there, the motorway then looped around what is now Somerston, mm-hmm. but at that point there was no Somerston. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that proposal came um, around about the same time the motorway was being proposed mm-hmm. so it looped around um, the north and east of Somerston um, before terminating temporarily at Killermont Road Yes, uh, which is just immediately south of Canniesburn Toll mm-hmm. and the initial intention was that the Mary Hill motorway if built on its own would be built as a single phase from the inner ring road to Canniesburn Toll Mm-hmm. With an extension of the section to the Lomond Motorway to Great Western Road coming later, yeah, and that would have proceeded from here westwards, mm-hmm. um, heading through open, basically open land. I think there's a golf course in there and one or two other things. It runs parallel to the railway line as well for a point, and there were a couple of intermediate junctions planned foot for it yeah, yeah that's right i mean it just goes to the south of bears den that's right uh, south of bears den yeah. in a sort of pocket of land which i believe still exists yeah actually um it's kept well away from switchback road mm-hmm. um it's to the south of switchback road initially mm-hmm. i believe yes it is diligently checking the map yep here. <laughs> and then yeah and then it starts to swing around to the west and avoids it completely going around the back of what what became drum chapel yeah, uh, because Drum Chapel's not on our map either, not to any great extent. Mm-hmm. But Drum Chapel was obviously built up around that, and I believe that the Drum the Drum Chapel not easy to say the Drum <laughs> Chapel plans actually allow for the motorway through there. And if you go up to Drum Chapel, yeah, you'll see a space where the Lomond motorway was supposed to cut through. Yeah, and that's still very much on the ground. A couple of intermediate junctions, as I said, they allowed full access to the motorway both directions. A large, extensive interchange at Somerston which mm-hmm. I never mentioned, would have allowed for the future Trossachs motorway and the connection to the North Link motorway. That's right. So this was where the four motorways would meet. Yeah. So you've got Mary Hill, 
meeting with the Lomond motorway, with the Trossus motorway going north, and then the North Link. So this this interchange we see here is a it, it looked like a cloverleaf from what I can yeah, look at it, here, but it's also got direct connections from Mary Hill to Lomond West. That's right. I mean, it would have been one of the largest and most extensive motorway interchanges in Scotland. Here, looking at it there, yeah, probably about the same footprint as Bellison. Probably yes. Big, big, big junction. Yeah. Same you when know. you when you think about the size of it. Yeah, you're looking at the comparison definitely. Um, the other thing we never mentioned was that there was an intended connection with the Kelvin Dale Expressway. Oh yes, which this has, road. Yeah, the, the Kelvin Dale Expressway has the uh, unfortunate um, title of being <laughs> the first of the highway plan schemes to be cancelled. Yeah. So there you go. Um, it wasn't taken forward because the traffic justification wasn't there. Although, as we discovered last year. Yeah. They proposed a realigned version of it first before it was cancelled. Kelvinale Expressway was basically going to follow the footprint of the locks um, just at Mary Hill. Mm-hmm. You know where all the canal locks are there. Yeah, the so that, yep, so that was going to come through there and then proceed uh, in a westerly direction, uh, sorry, an easterly direction up towards the Northlink Motorway uh, to provide a, a direct connection to that as well around the south of Somerston. You know, so it was all reasonably well thought out. And that would have connected, the, the, the Kelvindale Expressway would have connected with that Cadder Junction that we were talking about earlier as well. So there is actually a section of that built. Well worth going to see. Kelvindale Expressway, funnily enough, terminated on the Clyde Tunnel Expressway, um, which isn't really a, a term that's used or a name that's no. used widely now. Um, but if you think of Switchback Road, just to the north of the railway bridge, that's where mm-hmm. the Kelvindale Expressway would have come in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that just to give you some details on that anyway back to the Lomond motorway so the Lomond motorway was, was passing fairly uncontroversially through open land open park land still as dual three lane motorway mm-hmm. eventually merging with Great Western Road just to the northwest of Mount Blow um, well, I can't, I've described it before as kind of bordering on Drum Chapel and Clyde Bank. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's quite as far up as Mount Blow. Um, so we so a bit east of Mount Blow. Yeah, I, maybe we have slightly different interpretations from where we're looking at it on the map here. But no, I can definitely say that's that's kind of near at Drum Chapel. Colbowie Roundabout. Is it near there? No, it's not quite as far as that. I'm trying to think uh, a good way to describe it to our listeners. Um, where the retail park is on Great Western Road. Where the retail park is on Great Western Road. Right. That is where it goes. Okay, so, so it would have come go. through there. It would have joined with the, the, yeah. the A82 there. Mm-hmm. And then you would then have had a almost a fast link from there to, to Erskine Bridge. Yeah. You know, so it would have provided... A, it's basically bypassing the most urban section of Great Western Road. Yeah. That's that's effectively what mm-hmm. it's doing. While also improving access to Bearsden, Mogai, Summerston, and, and one or two other, other areas as well, bypassing the A81 and the A82 in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking at this, Stuart, and uh, you know, allow me to put a personal opinion in here. When you look at the network that was planned, Mary Hill, yeah, that's what we're talking about, but looking at the Lomond as well, and the Trossachs and the North... What what a useful network that would have been for now. We don't have anything like that in that part of the town. Yeah, so much know? traffic. I mean, when you think of Glasgow as a city being one of the lowest for car ownership per person or per, mm-hmm. per household, and then you then have an area like Bearsden and Mogai, which is probably one of the highest mm-hmm. for car ownership in, in the city and probably in the whole conurbation, and yet those areas are not served by either a dual carriageway mm-hmm. or by a motorway. No, um, and. That, those corridors and they keep are building terrible. houses. Yeah, they keep they building keep, lots they of keep houses. building houses. Yeah. You know, those corridors are at capacity, Absolutely. and it's very difficult to get north. 
at night we have yeah. another thing you know Stuart you were saying about a lot of the land that's been left available and yes it is in some places a lot of this has been built on now it's not like you can take these plans back and have them exactly as they were I know you know. I know. so we've spoken about the route where it was going and stuff like that what about the actual makeup of these roads and we, we spoke about a bit about the Mary Hill being kind of a depressed motorway yeah I get so again the the Holford's influence, the Holford's being the consulting yeah. uh, architect on yeah. all the, the, the Glasgow motorway schemes, their influence on this was to try and mitigate as much as possible the effect on the landscape. Mm. So at Queen's Cross, for example, where there was the Macintosh Church, they didn't want to have an effect on that. Mm. So they, they determined that the motorway should be depressed been, you know, below the level of the church. Same at Fir Hill Stadium. You know, mm. There was going to be a bridge going over the motorway to take pedestrians into Fir Hill Stadium. And there's yeah. some visualisations which we'll talk about later. Um, in the Mary Hill area the motorway would have been slightly higher but only because the canal sits slightly higher than some of the surroundings you mm -hmm. know um, but even their landscaping and planting was kind of envisaged to try and hide or, or screen the motorway yeah. um, you know from the surroundings um, but as we know the local population in Mary Hill weren't particularly enthusiastic about this motorway no. I think, again, it was one of these ones, it was getting on a bit. The people had already had a chance to see a sample of what it was going to look like with the M8 being built. Uh, Woodside was already well open by the time, you know, these later reports were coming out. Indeed, you know, yes. So people seen this and went, mm, hold on a minute. Yeah, you know? in, t in terms of the overall programme of delivery for the various Glasgow motorway schemes, we had Target 1, mm. which was to take the M8 across the city, provide the Clydeside Expressway, provide an M73 and, and various other roads like the Clyde Tunnel Expressway and, and upgrades like that. They were all intended to be completed by 1975. Initially, it was later 1980. And the Mary Hill Motorway was part of the second tranche of projects that were to come through. Now, the, within the second tranche, we had the Stirling Motorway, the Mary Hill Motorway, the Springburn Expressway, the Lomond Motorway, the Air Motorway, mm -hmm. uh, and the Johnston Bypass. Mm -hmm. um, now, as we know... Some of these got built. Some of them did get built eventually, in, many years later. In slightly different forms. I mean, the Air Motorway is M77. Yeah. Uh, Johnston Bypass came along more or less as, as intended. Yep. Springburn Expressway did with some minor modifications. Uh, Stirling Motorway came along as the M80, but downgraded to an extent yeah. uh, so really the Lomond motorway and the Mary Hill motorway were the only two schemes in that second tranche that didn't get built yeah. um, now there's a number of reasons for that and uh, it's a mixture of local opposition yeah. political changes mm -hmm. the financial situation um, and probably as we said earlier just the general trend against motorways or urban motorways at that time that yeah. was starting to filter through after the completion of the inner ring road now to put it into the context of political changes glasgow corporation as an authority was very enthusiastic about the proposals within the highway plan they they were more than happy to push forward with, with a number of projects um in may 1975 glasgow corporation ceased to exist and in came strathclyde regional council and Strathclyde Regional Council weren't only responsible for the city of Glasgow's roads, they were responsible for highways across the entire regional council area, which was, I think, at that time, the second largest in Europe, yep. or Western Europe. Um, you know, so it was, it was huge. There was also a funding crisis in the, the terms of the, the, the financial crisis that we'd had in the UK, the oil crisis, four-day week, say, yeah. all these things led to a, a reduction in public spending. So the money available for highway construction or new road construction had also reduced. 
Um, so Strathclyde coming in as a new authority didn't have as much money to spend, say, as the corporation had had five years before. There was also the abolition of the Grant Assistance Programme, which also ended in 1975. So prior to 1975, local authorities could bid to the Scottish Development Department for up to 75% of the money towards the cost of the project. So, for example, on the Anna Ring Road, the Scottish office contributed 75% of the cost, and the council or the corporation put up the other 25%. The same would probably have happened for the Mary Hill Motorway. Yeah. But as I say, in 1975, that was abolished and they changed it to a form of rate assistance, which was based on the rates paid and things like that. It was never as successful as the grant assistance programme. And local authorities have never been able to build on the same scale since that change no, came in in Scotland. No, definitely not. Well, Strathclyde Regional Council did manage to deliver some very big schemes yeah. uh, after that after that era, but now, no. Yeah, now we've been, we've been having some conversations recently with a man called Andy Davis, okay. who was the Chief Officer of Transportation. Yeah. Um, um, at Strathclyde Regional Council, the first great guy. Yep, the first the first guy to hold that title at Strathclyde. He was previously of Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick during the highway plan design, and then moved to the corporation and worked and headed up a team that designed some of the motorways, including the Monkland Motorway. And Andy then took over the role of the chief of transportation, um, and his role initially, which was to bring all the road schemes under the planning department's uh, responsibility, rather than having a separate roads you know, department to take them forward. And they had to whittle down all the schemes that had been in the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study and whittle them down to about 15 schemes for the entire region. So there was competing demands. Mm. And when you've got schemes like the Mary Hill Motorway that are under fire, yeah. in the sense that they're not popular, I think it really was probably one of the easier ones... Easy target. ...to cancel. Yeah, that's it. Do you know another thing about them? Just Again, I'm always glancing at the map. Opposition was to the Mary Hill Motorway. Yeah. Not the Lomond. No, exactly. But without right. one, the other couldn't... Well, without the Mary Hill, there would be no Lomond. You know, I'm just trying to think of a situation here where we could have got the Lomond through, but without the Mary Hill, but it wouldn't have really yeah. connected we to could have, Well, we could have had the North Link aspect of it, exactly. which could have continued exactly. it. But yeah, I know what you mean. And the Mary Hill aspect is probably the most important part of that corridor. Yeah. Now, by 1975, there had been... A number of moans and groans and, and, and complaints from people who live near where the line of motorway was going to be. So, um, Glasgow Corporation commissioned uh, the justification report, which was then eventually actually published by Strathclyde Region. By the time it was finished, it went to the region. Um, it's a very detailed report, which we will come on to uh, very shortly in the, in the From the Archive feature part of it, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the things in there. That justification report actually brought the motorway down in places to dual two lane. Yeah. with the the provision for future widening. You know, they were trying to make it more palatable to people, trying yeah. to justify it. Because traffic traffic flows at this time. Something else we, we often try to say to people is that the projections made in the highway plan for 1990 ended up more or less spot on. But within five years or ten years, we'd had the oil crisis and car ownership traffic growth actually started to stall, stall. Yeah. and a lot of people started to go oh all these projections are wrong they're way off yeah. and for a few years that looked to be the case but when the economy started to recover and you then start to move towards the late 70s and then into the 1980s traffic growth rocketed again and the projections were more or less spot on so there was a bit of a wobble in yeah. the early 70s which about, called everything into question yeah you know? do we really need this network are, are your projections all wrong you know uh, and and that probably contributed towards the cancellation of it as well but thinking about the outcome of that motorway not being built john for you what do you think is the the biggest impact of the road not being built 
we'll talk about traffic mm-hmm. what's happened in journey options um, with having to get to these northern parts of the city is very difficult you are on surface streets yeah now that kind of but I don't live in the north part of, of Glasgow, but I can imagine that's something that's pretty unpleasant for anyone that's living on the these streets that's kind of a front to this kind of traffic going there every day. Yeah. Also, I think this is a strain also on um, public transport, like buses and things like that. Active travel would be affected by this. So we've, we're left with a legacy of poor roads because this has been cancelled. Yeah. But there's another point. I think when these schemes got cancelled, because you know there was some opposition to it, the community was quite energised against it. And you know Vince Cable yep. from the Liberal Liberal Democrats, he was an MP or a councillor for the area, was councillor he not? for Hillhead, I think. That's that right, and he actually campaigned heavily against it. I think it demonstrated to quite a few people that if you know you you mobilise, you you can actually get these things cancelled if you, you organise you know. effectively. Yeah, and I yeah. think that might have been a bit of a legacy from it. Yeah, you know, um, and I think the um, what was it say? I think I know that the the other fl- unbuilt flanks of the ring road, yeah. the east and south flanks, follow the same fate. Yeah. So summarize, well, we don't have very good roads in the north of the city yeah. as a result. I mean, for me, I haven't travelled extensively in that part of the city over the years and at peak times. Mary Hill Motorway and Great Western Road, eh, sorry, Mary Hill Road and Great Western Road are horrific. Yes. To travel on in, in the peak, in the evening peak in particular. Northbound traffic on Maryhill Road can easily queue from the junction, um, you know, with uh, where Garscube Road comes up and, and, and joins on. And from there, all the way up through Maryhill, past the Tesco, past the traffic lights, past the police station, under the canal, and all the way to the locks. Yeah. So that's about a mile and a half, two miles of solid traffic. Yeah, you know, the, going all the, the way through. The pollution and, and stuff that comes up from that. And this is people who are trying to travel back to Bears Denham Guy. They're yeah. not going to Mary Hill. Most of them are not going to Mary Hill. They're not going to Somerston. Mm-hmm. Do you know? think it's had an effect on the economy in the area? I mean, we don't have figures through here, but just yeah. some general observations. Are businesses keen to move to a part of the town that isn't well served by, by high-capacity roads? It's very possible. It's very you know? possible. Because you've got to think of that. Where are all the businesses cropping yeah. up? Of course, and there, there are people out there who will say, well, Bears Den and Mackay are quite well off. Of and, course and, they and are. Already. Yeah. What, why did they need that? But mm-hmm. you could you could say that actually they may have become more successful than they are now, even if they'd had a better connection to the motorway system. You know, yeah. a lot of this traffic would have, you know, would have bypassed Mary Hill completely. And you mm-hmm. do wonder if the community almost has actually suffered more in the long run. This is a, probably a controversial point. Uh, I'm not saying it is the case. I'm just putting it out there. Has the community actually suffered more in the long run through accidents and journey time and pollution from all that slow-moving traffic in Maryhill Road every day mm-hmm. when the motorway maybe half a mile behind the area would probably have taken it all past much more quickly? I guess the only way to prove your point is to look at a similar area of the city which has had a motorway of kind of similar characteristics yeah. built built yeah. uh, through it mm-hmm. and seen how that is. You know, yeah. you got to think of it. That it well, it's it's two evils, really, isn't it? Yes, mm-hmm. you can understand that people don't want this road coming there, but then you've yeah. got to think about the impact it has. That's on right. These you things. know, and and that's why we always we always try and play devil's advocate, don't we? We try and yeah. look at the good and the bad behind these things, and and they would have been bad. I mean, it would have had an effect on the areas like Fir Hill, yeah. um, you know, and run about uh, Queen the top end of Queen Margaret Drive. You know, the, the, the Billsland um, Drive junction would have been quite a large junction actually it would have changed the character of that area quite considerably Mm -hmm. there's no denying that plus we would have lost the canal yes which is is quite nice now isn't it you know so there is that i suppose we can look at that as a kind of silver lining i guess Mm -hmm. do you know if they were going to build something like 
you can build these kinds of roads now, but they do them in cut and cover tunnel. I mean, London has actually done some of the most expensive roads mm-hmm. we've ever done in the UK, yeah. burying them completely. Yeah, you and know? You, yeah, that's right. I mean, you could the you Limehouse could Link, yeah. you know, which we drove through. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's another thing that kind of has contributed to the to the poor traffic situation in the area is that the Great Western Road Expressway upgrade mm-hmm. was cancelled as well. Now it was cancelled three four years before this Maryhill justification report came through. Um, that would have seen now it wouldn't have turned Great Western Road into an expressway like the Clydeside Expressway, but what it would have done is it would have stopped up a number of the, the roads that join Great Western Road. It would have taken away at grade traffic signals and things like that, and put over footbridges um, and made some changes further up, and that would have got traffic moving a bit more quickly on Great Western Road. Now, by that I don't mean fast; I just mean it would have been moving at a steady a rate, you know, far more free flow. Yeah, there's less yeah. idling and things like yeah. that. Yeah, but because know? that was cancelled as well, really that whole quadrant of the city has suffered um, as a result of the cancellation of the motorway. The motorway probably became became even more important after the cancellation of the Great Western Road upgrade. Yeah. Uh, I don't now, think that was considered. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Now, both Great Western Road and Mary Hill Road were both amongst the first in Glasgow to get bus prioritisation measures in yeah. the form of bus lanes. And I think it was the early 1990s that Strathclyde Region ran the bus lane all the way down Mary Hill Road, you know, all the way up to where the shopping centre is. And Great Western Road obviously has has them as well, at the, certainly at the lower end. Uh, because the roads are so congested and the buses couldn't get through Mm -hmm. these things had to be done but if the motorway was there well it may have helped the situation you would never have had the bus lines it would have been an interesting it's an interesting assessment to do really would be to check and and do a comparison if the motorway was built had been built would the traffic situation have improved you know there's a way to model that and it would be fascinating actually to look at that um okay so from from this then so we've we've given a good broad overview of what the scheme was and, and what was involved in it I think we'll now take it over to the From the Archive feature and we'll actually delve into the Maryhill Motorway report itself. Great. Now, this is probably one of the better reports that were produced for an unbuilt road in yeah. Glasgow. Now, there are a number that were also produced for the south and east flanks of the inner ring road, but the Maryhill Motorway one, I, I think, is actually rather good. Yes. It has a lot of I would really say it's rather good, good as well. Yeah. Illustrations, visualisations, and things that really try to put it into the perspective of someone looking at it and thinking i really don't want to show through here they're trying to justify it as much as possible yeah so john open it up open up that report let's hear open that it report up. open it's one of these typically uh comb bound uh a3 size reports uh this one is also um important because it's signed off by john cullen yep. who by that time was fairly senior at scott wilson kirkpatrick in glasgow mm-hmm. um having uh uh come back um, after a short spell away, um, he was a, a director at Scott Wilson in Scotland by that stage. So he's actually signed off the report in, in conjunction with uh, someone from Holfords. Yeah. Um, and they give us a, a, an introduction about why the report was asked for. Uh, they also talk about public exhibitions, which were a relatively new thing at that time. You know, actually show off your proposals. Uh, if you open up, John, to the first couple of pages, you yeah. might actually see there's a, there's a section titled Background or History. And why don't you just read us a couple of excerpts Background from and history. Yep, so right. I think you're just coming up to that there. Well, maybe. we have it here. Introduction, yep. uh, extent of study, object of study, and history. Mm-hmm. So tell us a wee bit about what it says there. Okay, so paragraph 1.3, history. Uh, the Maryhill Motorway was conceived in 1960 to 1961 as part of the Inner Ring Road studies. Okay. In order to design the Inner Ring Road, it was necessary to determine the starting point of various radial motorways, and in order to do this... It was necessary to determine a feasible route to the outskirts of the city. 
the earlier Bruce Report and Abercrombie Report have both proposed a motorway route along the line of Great Western Road. It was considered that this was environmentally unacceptable, and since the canal through the Mary Hill was close to navigation, it was considered that it provided the only acceptable corridor for a radial motorway in the northwest sector of the city. Interesting. Very interesting. So they were considering the environment and yeah. things like that going forward. That you know, decades earlier, it would have put something an actual motorway along Great Western Road, but this is. No, it's taking Yeah, it they've away. moved on. I mean, I, this is something we always try to emphasise to people. A lot of people think that Glasgow was hell-bent on the car. Yeah. But it's things like that. You know, they were trying to, to minimise severance and, and, and things like that, you know, as much as possible by utilising existing corridors. The canal had already been there for 200 years, you know. Yeah. So it was already a line that people were used to, you know, so that put motorway on there wasn't introducing a new line between communities as such. You know, so that's that's kind of what they're trying to justify there. Yeah. Yeah. Mentioned Somerston earlier mm-hmm. because uh, we looked at Somerston, it was on the map, but it wasn't there. Yeah, you know, it, it does say uh, in 1968 when proposals for housing in Somerston were being developed by the corporation, it was decided to move the route of the motorway to the east to provide the maximum single area for new housing development. So that's why it takes this turn, yeah, uh, with the map that we've got up there, which is based in this report to give space for that development. Yeah. You know, it's just corroborating what we've said earlier, which is which is great, yeah, definitely. Now, we should see that if for anyone who want, who's listening and they want to follow along with some of the things we're looking at, we have an excellent page on the Mary Hill and Lomond Motorways on the website. Um, if you go to glasgows-motorways.org.uk forward slash Mary Hill-motorway, um, you will see a number of scans from this report, um, which show you some of the visualizations and things, and some of them really are fascinating. Um, John's looking at one at the moment, which is an aerial view um, of the, the entire corridor coming up from the inner ring road all the way up to Somerston and it really shows you how, how easily it fitted in it does. to the corridor really you know you can see why they chose that as, as an option you know got another good paragraph here because you mentioned it earlier but when I'm talking about this I'm, I'm reading it word for word from yeah, the report yeah. it does say because originally the highway plan it was dual three lane yeah and, and even wider on the approach to some of the junctions it says hmm our studies conclude that the motorway should be dual two-lane with the provision for increasing its capacity by forming a dual three-lane motorway if and when required. Okay, so future-proofing, basically. Future-proofing. Saving a bit of money up front but allowing for expansion later if needed. Yeah. Always makes sense. <clears throat> Just trying to find more interesting uh, interesting tidbits in this report here. I mean, the visualisations in here are fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. And recently we actually uncovered a number of slides which show Canny's Toll and a number of other parts of the Lomond motorway um, as part of how they were intended to look. Um, and we, we are hoping to scan some of those in the, in the near future to try and share them. We did share one of Canny's Toll a couple of weeks ago um, showing a, a, an elevated roundabout. Uh, it was taking the A81 over the Lomond motorway below. That was quite fascinating to look at. It's shown as a dual two-lane motorway, so I guess they must have been prepared around the time that this report was. Uh, given, yeah, given there had been some changes by then. i uh, give you some facts and figures about the motorway uh, oh, oh. from that report as well. I was just about to get to that, because it was they, they proposed to have it split into two contracts. Tell us more. Tell us more. Oh, I've... Uh given the rope to hang myself there, haven't I? <laughs> Tell me so that. it was it was two contracts. Contract number one went from Killament to Bisland Drive. Okay. Um, they pres- you know, proposing this. Was oh, no, that's interesting. So that was contract one. That was contract one. Um, and they've, they've got a kind of bill of quantities here, so to speak, right, for okay. all the different stuff. And it would have come to 8,630,000. 
Right. So I'll let you do the figures on what that would be to, okay, in so today's maybe money. Maybe about 60, 70 million? Yeah. Something like that. With all the housing in there now. Yeah, it. Um, yeah. Contract two from Bizon Drive to the north flank of the inner ring road. Right. So, so this is an interesting one. <laughs> Finding it, um, getting it built from uh, rather you think it would start from the from the well, bottom. I- I'm wondering if they were maybe going to do what they did with the Renfrew motorway, build them simultaneously. simultaneously it, so. it says this here. I mean, it says mid 1973 construction. I presume the whole route be opened as one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have it. So there. today we would have been making posts about uh, Maryhill Motorway Stage One. Was open to traffic in March 1980. Yeah. You know, and and that's that would have been the intention. I think the total projected cost was about 26 million. You're right. For the motorway, for the two contracts together, that's what it. Previously worked that out at about 207 million. Um, now that's just for the Mary Hill. That doesn't include the Lomond. But given the Lomond was mostly rural in character at that time, it probably wouldn't have added a great deal to that cost, I wouldn't have thought. Mm. So you might have been looking about maybe like something like 35, 40 million in total for the two schemes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe about 300 million today, which actually isn't a great deal considering the M80 upgrade costs 320 million when you include the maintenance. The M8 upgrade, including Wraith Interchange and things, over 450 million. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, not, it's, it's, it's fairly balanced when you think about, you know, construction values. Your figures are bang on. Yeah. Um, do you know what would have happened to the old canal? No. Because actually. we had we the Monkland Canal originally, and the Monkland Motorway got built on top of it, and it got piped. Yeah. Same yeah. thing would have happened here. So can I read a paragraph? Yes, go ahead. Go right ahead. Yeah, point um, It says about the canal piping, it says, a major part of the Mary Hill Motorway is located on the Glasgow branch of the Forth and Clyde Canal. All right. This canal feeds water from the Monkland Canal to the Forth and Clyde Canal, and although now closed to navigation, supplies large quantities of water to industrial users. Right, okay. I wonder if it still does that. You never know. Never know. (laughs) Um, Therefore, before the canal can be eliminated, it is necessary to pipe the water past the section affected by the motorway. An advanced contract for canal piping is recommended. Oh, okay. So, there you go. And it goes on about some large pipe diameters and stuff that are recommended. So, that would have been taken forward in a very similar way to the Monkland motorway. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. You say about the new twin pipes will connect to the end of the existing pipes and discharge to the Forth and Clyde Canal at Stockingfield. Right, okay. So that, that, yeah. the, the completed system has been designed to carry 7 million gallons, um, which in today's money is about 32 million litres. Wow. Um, that's a lot of water. Under each pipe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that was another thing. That's This is another cost that you just don't consider. You yeah. know, yeah, how do you deal with the old canal? Yeah. You can't just get rid of water. But. That is what's wonderful, wonderful about the Glasgow motorway schemes, and I know we've said this many, many times. The difference between motorways being proposed and thought about elsewhere and in Glasgow was engineers were put in charge in Glasgow to come up with feasible projects that could be built cheaply, effectively, quickly and in stages that would all connect up nicely if they were only built you know, independent of one another. Other cities put it in the charge of planning departments and town planners aren't always there. Uh, they don't always come up with the best ideas, which we should. I know that's so we might have some planners listening. We I know. Have a planner as part of our organisation. I know. I know. He'll kill you any season. Let's think next. about London Ringways. <laughs> London Ringways yeah. planning department, planning department, and motorway proposals. Not always the best. In Glasgow, it was engineers far more grounded in their approach. Uh, I would say, and I think that screams out particularly in these reports that we look at. And again, one of the key things, landscaping, was really key to all of this. And you see the number of trees that were going to be planted. The sheets are far more green than any earlier report Mm -hmm. that I see, um, along with the visualisations. Oh, and it would have had high-mass lights. Oh, wonderful. I wonder if it would have had sign gantries as well. 
I don't know. Do you know something? I've never actually seen them in any of these visualizations. That would have here. been wonderful. Yeah. No, I'm uh, really just looking for some text on what that temporary terminus uh, would have been like. Yeah, so. up at Carries Montal. There's a row of shops at Kilmermont Road or Kilmermont Drive or Kilmermont Street. I, sorry, I can't remember the, the exact name of it now. There's a row of shops there, and that's literally where the motorway would have kicked you out. They're still there. Um, you know, There's a big, wide, grassy verge just at the top end of Maryhill Road, just south of the BP garage. Mm -hmm. If you look at that big wide verge there, that's where the motorway was going to go through, just where it became the Lomond. So the next time you're going up there and you see that big wide verge, that's why it's there. That was to accommodate the motorway crossing Maryhill Road, just at Canny's Burnt Hall. Yep. So yeah, there's some many, many, many sites on the ground that are still there as a sort of it reminder. It certainly is an interesting one. Um, the only other motorway I've seen that was taken forward in this report of... of you know what I'm holding now is well the uh, unbuilt flanks and the air motor. Yeah. The air motor got built yes. more or less along more or less along those alignments. But this one, Mary Hill, still provides an opportunity to go and see where it could have gone. Yeah. You're absolutely totally. right. Yeah. Get the other good thing to do is while looking at a website, look at Google Earth mm -hmm. and, yeah. and and kind of trace the route along there, and you can see these convenient gaps for where the the motor is meant. No, to you really can. I, I to sum up on the Mary Hill motorway, I think I can understand why it was controversial. But I can also understand why the corporation and the engineers felt that it was essential for the north and west of the city. Uh, it would have been interesting to do an exercise to compare accident rates and traffic figures for Great Western and Mary Hill Roads over the last 50 years and do a comparison against what it would have been like had the motorway been constructed to see what the savings or benefits would have been. Uh, I think that, that would have been a, a, an interesting exercise to conduct. Yeah, because you know, they are. I mean, both of these roads have traffic flows well into the tens of thousands, you know, each day. All right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm glad we got the chance to properly talk about this. Route. Yeah, you know, Mary Hill's uh, been coming up again and again and again recently yeah. by people asking questions. But where does that stop go off the AMA? The Do you know what? Section? I don't think it's the last time we're going to talk about it. We're still no. going to get questions yeah. on this, and, and it's something we might revisit again. Uh, you know, so no, mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Absolutely good to get into any questions in the Mary Hill Motorway. Uh, please feel free to submit them, send them into us. We'll be more than happy to answer. As always, mm -hmm. John. Yes. I think it's time for our monthly question and it is, answer. It tip. is indeed, and I just want to start by saying, move aside, Duncan McKnight, because yes. Robert Jennings has come here with a wheelbarrow load of questions. Yep, and um, Robert is back. Yes. Robert was Robert. quiet the last couple of months. He is back. Robert Jennings, We yeah. got to meet Robert Jennings at last. Yep. A very nice chap. Thank you, Robert, for coming along. It was very nice to meet you and, and your daughter. Mm -hmm. who was there as well uh, at the, the Glasgow Vintage Vehicle Trust open yeah. day um, at the start of July um, it was it was a pleasure to meet you at last and, and we do welcome your questions and we enjoy getting them and they're always challenging and we do enjoy uh, going away and, and researching them Yeah. Uh, so let's go then, go then John hit me with his first one this month okay so Robert's first question is what are the differences between motorway carriageways and typical ro local roads is there a difference What's the service life? Okay. Right. We're going to keep this high level okay. because neither of us are pavement designers. Okay. When uh, we say... Just a jargon bust oh yes, here. sorry. When, I, when sorry. we say as engineers, right, we're, I mean, Stuart and I are engineers, right? When we talk about pavement, we're not talking about the sidewalk. 
we're talking about (laughs) we're talking about the makeup of the road particularly what we call blacktop on the road so there you go there's a bit of jargon there for you what we call the pavement we call the footway yes sorry what you call the pavement we call the footway (laughs) that's it and uh, get it right way around john right way around exactly you know so um yeah so um, right okay with this one um the gist of it is a motorway in terms of its construction is deeper Mm-hmm. and harder wearing than yeah. a typical surface street. So if you're building a road in a housing estate that's all going to take a couple of vehicles every half hour yeah. at very low speeds, that is going to have a completely completely different construction makeup to a motorway that's taking 120,000 vehicles a day. That's right. Um, in terms of pavement design, again, to use some, some more jargon there, typically motorways are designed nowadays with long-life pavements in the sense that what they put down is in is designed to last 30 years. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the top surface of the road because you will often see resurfacing being done where they're maybe scraping off an inch or two on the top of the road surface and relaying that to keep it smooth and running well. But in terms of the sub-bases of the road, so the the binder course, the sub-base, all Mm -hmm. these parts, the foundation layers, they are typically designed for 30 years. And that was... It's the case with a lot of the Glasgow motorways as well. You know, they, yeah. they were designed to last. They were designed to take a beating. They knew mm-hmm. what levels of traffic were going to use them. And I don't think there were any major failures in the Glasgow system with the exception of the Stage 2B uh, Monkland motorway where there were cracks and things that formed after the first year or two of um, operational life, mm-hmm. um, which I think was put down to a, a mix of the design that was used, which was kind of lean, yeah. and also the ground conditions there. And, and I think they had to, to rip a lot of that up. Yeah. But on the whole... Most of the motorways have functioned quite yeah. quite well. I mean, from what I can remember from when I was taught of how to build roads when I was doing my studying, mm-hmm. was there are two things you consider when you're making a road, what the existing ground conditions are, yeah. and that the ground conditions determine what the foundation layers are going to be. Do mm-hmm. you have to, if, if you're on particularly wet ground or peat or something, you're going to have to import material. Yeah. This is what's called capping. Right, okay. That they do, and then, then you can put your sub-base, and, and mm-hmm. how poor the grounds are based on... Um, the, the tests that you can carry out yeah. doing these things. So what are they called? CBR tests. Yeah, California California bearing That's ratio right, tests. Yeah. So you oh. do these and, and things. So, But the actual blacktop is determined by the number of axles that you're using on the road. Yeah. Millions of standard axles. Mm-hmm. And this actually only counts for larger vehicles yeah. a lot of the time because it's actually the lorries that wreck the roads. That's right. If you only ran cars on the road, I think they would it's last n- a lot longer. They do last a lot longer. Now, all your little local roads have been there from a long time. Mm-hmm. Their foundations are probably the same since the 20s or the 30s. Yeah. Motorways didn't really appear in this country until the mid-50s and 60s. Yeah. So they have a modern application to this. So, yeah, they are built to far high more yeah. spec because they're purpose-built. That's right. They didn't envisage the motor cars and articulated lorries and roads in the Victorian times. No, absolutely not. Or the Telford's era. Yeah. Now, when we do carriageway reconstruction, full-depth reconstruction, as we talk about, that is when they go really deep down and they replace the sub-base in some of the lower layers. Yeah. I'm aware of a number of schemes that were carried out in the early 2000s to do that in the Glasgow area. Uh, the M73 has had that done. Sections of the M74 Hamilton Bypass have been done. I remember the M8 around Junction 11 to 14 was done in the year 2000. Um, the Renfrew Motorway has been done in advance of the M74. There was two summers where there was major carriageway reconstruction went on in there, where they rewaterproofed all the bridge decks, they rebuilt all the road carriageway. So a number of the, the roads in Glasgow have now been rebuilt, and they yeah. will be maybe 10 years or so into the, the 30 years that they, they're intended to last. Uh, that's some that's important. Disruptive sport. stuff. 
<laughs> now, did you know that on the Glasgow motorway system, there is one small stretch of original surfacing still there on a main carriageway, on a, on a, as a running line. And it is located on the eastbound M8 just before junction 16 in lane 4. You will see some old <laughs> surfacing in there with white granite chips. That's right, that because that road there. was widened, wasn't it, in the yes. 90s, but that was kept. That, that used to be kept. lane 3, yeah. which is now lane 4. Lane four. Yeah. And that has never, ever, ever been resurfaced. And that small 100 or 200 yard stretch of surfacing still exists. Yeah. That's and good I saw old it yesterday, hot... and I thought, I need to mention that as part of Robert's answer. <laughs> um, good old hot rolled asphalt. Yes. We don't do it like that anymore. No, we don't. And that's a discussion <laughs> for another time and for, for people with a bit more uh, technical knowledge on pavement design than us. Yeah. Uh, some of the more modern materials, particularly those brought in about 20 years ago, exactly uh, last very long. What we'll do, one day, that's a good idea for a guest. We'll get somebody in who really knows everything about tarmac mm -hmm. and asphalt. What a great idea. And then they can bore you all to death like they bore us in work. So there you go. <laughs> right. Okay, next then. Okay, this one's from Ryder on Twitter. Ryder asks... Why is the M8 between Newhouse and Edinburgh a motorway when it only has two lanes? Okay, I have very slightly reworded that question just to fit the, the, what we're doing here. Okay. But basically, basically, I think what Ryder was getting at was he was asking that how could how could the section between Newhouse and Edinburgh be a motorway when it's only two lanes? Mm -hmm. And I think it's this is a good time to point out that, that a motorway isn't defined by the number of lanes it has. Nope. It's defined by the regulations which control its operation. So a motorway is a road that is under what we know as special status yeah. and that restricts its use to certain classes of vehicles only. So it can't be used by pedestrians, uh, cyclists, uh, motorcycles, cycles with yeah. power under 50cc, kind of animals, animals anything, and yeah. you know, horses and carts and that kind of thing. So yeah. a motorway is really only a motorway because it restricts use by certain types of vehicle. Yeah, um, A motorway can have one lane. In theory, just a single there lane. There are single direction. lane. Yeah. There are um, single lane. Sorry, I would say single carriageway motorways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like that. There are. I mean, the, the most famous one is the big one in Birmingham, mm -hmm. which is seven lanes. Um, that's a single carriageway motorway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is the Aston Expressway. Mm -hmm. No central reservation with a tidal flow system. So in yeah. the morning, more lanes go in than out. Well, there are a few in England because it's just linking to somewhere that can only go a motorway. Yeah. It's, a, it's a single carriageway. And it's important to note that back in the beginning, in the early days, most motorways in Britain were actually dual two lane. That's right. The first motorway ever built, the Preston Bypass, was dual two lane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the M1, which is the first kind of intercity motorway that they built, was dual three. Yeah. Scotland has always had mostly purpose-built dual two because of the population. Population law, traffic law. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that dual two is still sufficient in some places. It may not be given traffic no. growth and whatnot now, and, and there may need to be upgrades. Um, but yeah, I think it was just important to point out that a motorway is not... A motorway because it has three way. lanes, yeah, but because of what's allowed to use it and what's not allowed to use it. I think that sums it up yeah. quite nicely. Mm -hmm. yeah, we okay. can talk about that one all day. Yeah. Right, let's get back to Robert Jennings' questions. He's got another. Uh, Robert Jennings asks, what is the purpose of concrete encasements around bridge columns in some locations? Stuart, you're the bridge engineer. I am going to sit back and drink my water here. Yeah, this is what we <laughs> refer to as peer protection. So a lot of original bridges were built with nice, slender, aesthetically pleasing piers. So nice narrow columns that look very nice and very pretty and don't dominate the landscape. But as vehicle weights have increased, they have become vulnerable to strikes. 
Uh, if certain types of vehicle, heavy vehicles, were to hit those columns when they're unprotected, the in theory could be damaged and the bridge could be put in danger. Uh, so concrete um, peer protection or even steel peer protection in some places is designed basically to provide protection to columns of that type. Yeah. The, Robert was specifically um, mentioning beneath Hillington Interchange on the M8, so Junction 26. You have very, very slender columns under there. Junction 29. St yes. James as well is another example of where Big concrete ones. peer protection has gone in. Any new roads that are upgraded, if you've got piers that are vulnerable, yeah. they'll generally put... The speed limit can also determine it as well. On the 30 mile an hour road, maybe not considered, but anything yes. is... Uh, uh, anything about 50 or so. Which is considered high yeah. speed. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so it's peer protection. Yeah. Nice and easy, that one, yeah. There we go. So that brings us on to the next question. This is from Craig Fraser on Twitter. Craig asks... Down south, they have flashing black signs with lights in the middle of the road. What are they for, and why don't we have them in Scotland? Okay, so these are basically just uh, motorway signal units mounted in the central reservation to provide warnings such as fog, ice, These things speed are limits. very old. Very, they, very old. They are the, some of the first um, variable message signs yeah. we ever got. Yeah, so they yeah. are. So, yeah, we never had those in Scotland. Um, again, traffic flows probably just didn't justify no. them to be honest in the urban sections of Glasgow we always had the, the motorway control yeah, system that's right you know so we always did have that out with these areas we had what used to be called motor warn signals and that was the two flashing amber beacons and they were on the near side now it's not that long ago since the last of those were removed yeah um, there's some remnants of them on <laughs> On the M90, through where I work, there are some of these old, old, old things. Uh, now, the, the actual, the lights are gone, but you can see where they were, the right. plinth that had these things on. Yeah, I mean, motor war, I remember the motor war on the M74 just at Maryville, mm-hmm. um, and that was still working up until just a few I mean, years they ago. they put these in when they built the roads. Yeah, well, Because I, I looked at as-built drawings from the 60s, and yeah. it's got the ducts in place mm-hmm. for these things. Yeah, I, that, so that was, what, that was what we had up here, and I think motor war lasted a lot longer in Scotland than it did down south. Um, in Scotland, we in the last twenty-five years or so, we have gone more with the variable message sign option. So the big cantilever signs that sit mm-hmm. above the road, we've really pushed heavily with, the, on those. with your handy messages and, telling you yeah. not to put. So in rural areas, yeah. we typically have those, especially on the M seventy-four. That's a good example. The seventy-four M. Um, yeah. You know, it's a good example of a route that has a number of variable message signs to convey mm-hmm. warnings and yeah. the like. So hopefully well, that answers just, that one. It does indeed, but. I'm afraid we're going to have to go back to Robert Jennings' questions. Again, another one! (laughs) No, really, we love these. Okay, so Robert Jennings asks, I'd like to know what training, degree, skills you need to conduct your duties. For example, could you take us through the various trades involved in motorway design, construction and maintenance, and the associated skill base required to bring it all together? Does everyone need a degree? Now, it's... Is Robert asking for a job here? Could be. This maybe, a maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's a career change. Could be. Right, where do we where do we start with this? Can, why don't we answer it backwards? Um, I'm going to say, no, you do not need a degree no, you to, get, to get in and do this because there is a wide berth of things you do in uh, you know the jobs we work in, high, highway maintenance. Yes. You know, I... Well, I'll, I'll give you a personal account. I didn't have a degree. I you, came, when no. I came in, I, I came in with nothing. I, I worked in the control room. You yep. know, with the cameras and managing incidents and, and work my way out of that through inspector and technician and onto what I'm doing now. Yep. Um, uh, no, you don't. Because you don't. We're lucky in the company we're in. Obviously, the, the, the training has been provided in college and university yep. and so on. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly different to, to John. I'm more, I've come in through more the traditional route. I do have a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I studied it in the traditional way as a full-time undergraduate student. 
Uh, typically, anybody who's involved in our field will have some form of civil engineering knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so that can be from NC all the way up to PhD yeah. level. Uh, we have people of all grades in the industry in Scotland. Um, I've certainly you know, got a few colleagues who are doctors. Yeah, um, you know, so we we have that. Um, you, you know, there's a number of people with master's degrees. Um, yeah. We also have environmental people who who have studied other forms of, um, you know, ecology and, and things like that. Uh, typically, those involved in bridges and, and roads and, and and the like have studied civil engineering and then specialised. That that's um, right. I mean, Robert uses the term various trades yeah. involved in motorway design. Electrical people as well. People yeah, so... De- you know, des- electrical design and, and electricians and, you know... From an like operational that. point of view, when when out there literally fixing the roads, the different trades that we get, okay? You get, you know, guys and engineers and technicians and operatives, these are the people who work on the roads, who are good at civils tasks. Stuart, yeah. you mentioned people who are good with... Um, electricians yep. you do get that and traffic management traffic management is the is the start and the end of every scheme so all the guys are trained to be able to throw cones out in the road that's right you know? yeah i mean you will find anyone who maybe doesn't have an academic qualification uh, who's maybe more involved in the operational side of things they will have extensive training and courses and yeah, going courses and schemes things. and all yeah. this kind of stuff you know to, to go go and work it's, it's all regulated and controlled in ways you get svqs nvqs yeah. There's a number of options available to people. I mean, I know a person studied their their qualification through the Open University while working as in a completely different field. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's it's very possible to come into civil engineering and roads maintenance without necessarily having any prior experience in yeah. it. John, you're a you're a great example of that. A good example. I came from retail. Yeah. I came in and worked in a control room, and that gave me the great way to actually learn all the routes, learn the the workings of of of, uh, of how this maintaining a network yeah <laughs> and then there are professional qualifications as well so this is have. this is yeah this is kind of in your office particularly you're in a design office yeah Stuart, so you know you get people who will be engineering technicians uh, mm-hmm. who have the qualified it's a qualified title the professional title they use mm-hmm. the, the letters eng tech yeah. as laid down by the uk engineering council you have incorporated engineers you have chartered engineers you know these people have worked um and and signed off a number of attributes and things and gone for professional reviews to allow them to use these titles uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and that sort of thing you know so yeah but but that's not essential either you know no. there are plenty of people who don't have those john cullen's another good example think of what john cullen did in glasgow basically yeah. as part of a team devised the entire highway system for the city john didn't study a degree in the traditional way john went through school and was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship um with baptist sean morton in the 1940s they then paid for him to study at night school, where he then got his degree that way, which is mm-hmm. an, in an unusual way. Um, yeah. You know, he had an apprenticeship, as I say, and he he worked and, and gained experience at the same time as he was studying. And then look what, from a traffic engineering point of view, look what he achieved. Exactly. And he didn't come in in what would be seen as the traditional route Graduate. into engineering. Yeah, yeah that exactly. comes in, you know. Yeah. There's loads of different types of engineers involved, particularly in your design. Obviously, you have geotechnical engineers, you have pavement engineers, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have environmental people who sit and work in there, and bridges people such as yourself. Yeah, and you have the people. pleasure of dealing with people like electricians. I uh, do, yeah. Is that a pleasure? They are. They're brave people. Yeah. Going up high in the air and changing over the, the the lanterns and lighting columns, and, you know, they, they work hard, these guys, and they well, work well, all night. when they turn up. When they t- yes, yeah. Uh, they're few. They're they're spread very thin. These guys. I'm I'm not going to say anything bad about them. They no, work really hard. Yes, all do. my colleagues. Yes, so no, very it's very hard. Very very hard. Yes. So um, I hope that helps, Robert. Uh, if you've got any questions to that, just yeah. Any further questions? Let us know. Yeah. Uh, the last question we have today is 
Or is it the last? I feel like you always sneak one in, don't you, Stuart? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just go with this and we'll see what happens. Okay, so this question is from Douglas Conway. Um, and Douglas asks, Why going south on the M73? Is there no direct link to the M8 West and oh, vice no. versa? Oh, no. I knew someone was going to ask this question eventually. It had to happen. <gasps> and we were just discussing this a couple of weekends ago when we were speaking to Andy Davis, remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Um, The answer... We, if you'd asked me this question five years ago, I would have said the answer probably was because they expected people to use the M80 to go yep, that way. And that's okay. what I would say. But we recently found out actually that that wasn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Baptiste Sean Morton, who designed that section of the motorway system on behalf of Warwick County Council and the Scottish Office, actually did it because they didn't really know how to fit in all the manoeuvres in a way that would work or was going to be cheap and cost effective. So what you're saying is it's a bit of a bungle. Basically. And then when Scott Wilson saw the proposals, I believe they all had a right good chuckle at what had they, <laughs> what they'd come up with. Because, of course, they had guys with American experience. Yeah. And they were able to sit down and within, apparently, within five, ten minutes, they had come up with a, an alternative design that actually allowed for all of those movements and actually had less of a footprint on yes, the Yes, I've heard about John Cullen's uh, alternative plans for Bayliston, which involved um, a massive clover stack yeah. of sorts, you know. Yeah. Um, and that would only have been over, what, two levels rather than the four that we he had? Kept, yeah, moment? he kept it pretty tight, to be honest with you. I remember two-level junction. Yeah, so... Yeah, so that's really the answer. Now, really now, I know you don't have a direct link now, but you can now use the M8 westbound from the M73 southbound at Bailston by coming off, using the A8M, then using the A8 and looping on the roundabout, and then using the A8 westbound onslip to the M8 at Junction 8. You, you can, can now do it. It's fairly yeah. convoluted, agreed, uh, but you can at least now do it. So they have kind of righted that wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to an extent hard interchange to develop in my opinion you've got a local road coming in there it's yeah. not easy yeah it's not easy now we do have one final question and I know you say I always chuck one in at the mm-hmm. end but it came in very late today okay um, it was from a person on Twitter um, I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that name um, for fear of offending half the population, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you what the question is: Is there anything that can be done about the merge slips at Anderston and Charing Cross to affect better flow? Hmm. There are so many slips in the areas. Specifically, what do you think they're asking? I am this... thinking it's possibly the Anderston on slip, right? And the Anderston off slip. Possibly, because it is quite busy in there. It can be problematic. Right. Okay. Let's 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 consider the makeup. So this is in the Charing Cross Canyon area. Are we are we right in saying we're at that area where you know in front of the Mitchell? Yes. So we have a. <laughs> I'm going to use the loosest term here: hard shoulder. Yes. Can the road be widened? Well, I, yeah. Yes, it can be. <laughs> Would you be able to? No. Well, I've often thought of something. And talking about removing the off-ramp to the city centre um, to allow some extra room in there to, to rejig the junction. Yeah. The only other thing I could do is consider closing slip roads in the area. Yeah. So I, I really need a map in front of me right now to kind of consider some of the options in there. To be to be honest, to keep everything working the way we, you know, it's working just now in terms of the options that you can use on the junction. Yeah. No, there, there, there probably isn't. No. It's you not know? easy. Uh, the the other thing would be to meter it, but you actually don't have a lot of traffic attenuation space there. Yeah, exactly. We just all filter back on to the the surface streets and cause more trouble at Anderson Cross, mm-hmm. which isn't ideal either. So yeah, I, I don't think there's an easy solution there. 
No, I, really I think something needs, a slip road needs to close there. Yeah, and that's the only other thing mm-hmm. that I can think of. But then again, the M74 was meant to solve all these problems. I'm, just, I'm sure it's probably better now than what it was. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think the situation is better there, but it's, still, it's far from ideal. It yeah. is far from ideal. There's no doubt about it. I think maybe if the direct connection from Kingston to M74 had been provided, yeah. it might have made a bit of a difference. More people would have been inclined to use the stop cross on ramp and, and then use the M74. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll never know. We'll never we'll know. We'll never indeed. know. The other thing I've noticed, and this might be related to this question, if you are travelling west on the M8 and there's an event on at the SECC, you get a lot of traffic queuing up around there, and it's that junction at Anderson that's not the at-grade one that really, yeah. really snarls up. Yeah. Maybe we could make some big high ramp that takes everything right over and across. It would be very high and very loopy. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like it's, some it's people are loop, loopy in uh, <laughs> in two ways. Uh, something that would go right over the stop-cross ramp, or you could bury it. Yes, I mean it's anything's possible. Anything, anything's possible. Whether it's palatable or justifiable, yeah. well, that's the only just one. whenever considering any improvements for that, just look at the area. Look how much is going on in there in terms of structures and also buildings and properties. Yeah. And it's very difficult Absolutely. to do anything with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that brings us off on to our next section, which we'll briefly cover, which is to do with our upcoming features. Yes. Uh, we were at a really cool event last weekend which was the bridgeton bus open day yes at the glasgow vintage vehicle trust that's um, it (laughs) they extended an invitation to us to attend um and that was um that was it was a great event we had a brilliant day we met so many people so many people who knew of us who had heard of us who came along just to to meet us and say hello robert jennings being one there's a number of other guys as well sorry i can't i can't name you all but yeah thank you for coming along it was it was it was nice to meet you all we hope you enjoyed speaking to us and seeing some of the reports and things like that yeah i I, again my thanks to the gvvt for having us it was it was brilliant stephen booth in particular um there who helped organize it they put us in a really good place that Mm -hmm. day we were we were we got a lot of passing trade uh, so it's speak. good to see all these old buses again. I know for oh, you, yes. Stuart, you know, it was a particular memory lane mm-hmm. for you, isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> uh, now, we will be back there on the 4th of August. We're yeah, going yeah. back for the next uh, the family day, the family fun day that they have. It's on the, the 4th of August from 11 till 5, I believe, yeah. or 11 till 4. Uh, and we will also be back again in October for the two-day open weekend. Yeah, so we will wow. be there uh, with bells on and what we're going to do to encourage more of you to come back and see us again we are going to take different material the next time and the time after that so you can see some of the other reports that's right we had the highway like plan with us yeah. we had the ggts and so many people that came um and, and we spoke to uh, weren't aware of all this yes. and had so many questions mm-hmm. and you know another thing we need to say a big thank you to the people who donated to us as oh well yes time. yes no absolutely really, really, that makes yeah. this possible it does all of those donations make this podcast and our attendance at those events possible yeah because we are not profit um, nothing like that we, it's a hobby we all do it in our spare time and those donations ensure that everything continues that's the social media the website Spotify, the podcast the, all these things it helps with all that so thank you very much and you can donate at any time to us via the website there's a donate now option button at the bottom we would be delighted to take any donations that you are willing to offer um, jumping on from that, we have Doors Open Days Glasgow yeah. coming up in September. Uh, that runs from the 16th to the 22nd of September. We have two talks that are taking place that week. One on Thursday the 19th of September at 6.30pm in the Mitchell Library and another on Saturday the 21st of September at 3pm in the Mitchell Library. Details on these will be coming soon through the, the Doors Open Days um, publications. 
Um, attendance at those will be free, but they will be ticketed. The title of the talks, I think I revealed last month, will be Glasgow Motorway City. Yeah. And we look forward to welcoming many of you to these talks to really get some in-depth um, knowledge of the history of Glasgow, see some new photos, new plans, all in a, a good presentation, packaged all well together for you. John, myself and the rest of the team will be there to, to meet you and uh, go yeah. through that with you. We also have an exhibition called Glasgow Motorway City that will be running at the Mitchell Library throughout the month of September. The exact start date is to be confirmed, uh, but that will be running just inside the foyer at the main entrance from Granville Street. Uh, you'll be able to come along again and see some of our exhibition boards that will be telling the story of the history of the Glasgow Motorway system. You'll also be able to see some reports and things out on display. There'll be some wonderful facts and figures, and we will probably be there from time to time as well to answer any questions and queries and things if anybody has them. So that's coming up. So there'll be more details on that next month. We'll have that ironed out. As soon as Doors Open Days starts putting out their publications and, and, and their promotional uh, stuff, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll share that. Yeah. Uh, leaflets. A number of people have now managed to get a hold of a leaflet through either attending one of our events and things like that. Again, we will be at the Glasgow Vintage Vehicle Trust uh, where you can pick them up for a small donation. If anyone is really interested in, in receiving a leaflet, if they get in touch with us direct or if they make a donation of at least £2.50 on the website and provide their address and their name and contact information, I will happily post them a copy of the leaflet. But yeah. we do need at least 250 to cover the cost of the postage and obviously the leaflet itself. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm more than happy to do that to anyone who's listening. Uh, we are also looking for any sponsorship opportunities. If you are part of a company or an organisation that would like to sponsor some of our upcoming events and get your name on some of our exhibition boards, uh, we would be more than happy to talk to you. Yeah. Um, we are always, always looking for financial assistance to move things forward, uh, particularly for doors open days where there will be many hundreds, if not thousands of people passing by these exhibition boards. You could get your name and logo on some of them, you know, get yourself recognised as a supporter of the Glasgow Motorway Archive. If that's something that interests you, get in touch. <laughs> I think we've got loads of supporters. We're all listening now, hopefully. Let's hope so. Over 500 <laughs> listeners last month alone. Is that our best yet? Was that the best yet? Over five hundred. Uh, we've now had over God, we've had many thousands of listens now since we launched Absolutely. the current um, system. Yeah, t- tell all your friends and your colleagues what's going on with this podcast. What you're listening to, recommend it. Let's see if they like it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, absolutely, John. You're right. You are right. You okay. Okay, so that's kind of kind of us for this month then. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for joining us again this month on the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, make sure you visit the website, uh, glasgows-motorways.org.uk, where you can listen to our previous podcasts and learn all about the history of the Glasgow Motorway system. You can also subscribe to the podcasts in iTunes, on Spotify, or at Podbean to make sure you never miss a show. While you're at it, be sure to leave us a rating on iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here, be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily fix. That's right. We do have regular updates on those channels. There are always lots of new photos coming out every week. All the time. I like to share those. We, we take tons on that social media, um, so it's always good to see. Um, in the meantime, that's all we've got for now, but we will be back in mid-August with episode 14. We hope to see you there. We hope you enjoy your summer. If anyone's off on holiday, please enjoy it. We will certainly be doing the same. We're taking some time away. Uh, that will be good fun. So we will hope to see you there. Bye for yeah. now. Bye. Bye.